Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com i'm psychologist dr alexis moreno I've examined how our thoughts and emotions impact our physical body in health psychology research, and I've provided cognitive behavioral therapy to kids, teens, and adults struggling with anxiety disorders. In today's show, I'm partnering up with licensed psychologist and my former office mate from St. Elizabeth's Hospital, Dr. Alicia Hodge, to talk more about everything anxiety and coping. Dr. Alicia has extensive training and certifications that establish her as an expert on anxiety, perfectionism, and self-care. You have anxiety and coping questions? We have a combined six graduate degrees in clinical and applied psychology. We'll be listening to your questions and sharing our professional and personal insights. Welcome to Wit and Reason, hosted by psychologist Dr. Alexis Moreno. Dr. Moreno brings her expertise to providing smart and practical explanations on human behavior by interviewing diverse health experts regarding today's ever-evolving life and culture. Listen as Dr. Moreno answers questions by D.C. residents on everything from love to hardships, turning social science and research into relatable, accessible, and useful information you can use. Listen now as Dr. Moreno brings a little bit of positive mental health to your day. As human beings, we experience a range of emotions, some of which can feel really uncomfortable. Fear, worry, nervousness. But sometimes these experiences become so problematic that they require professional intervention. Dr. Alicia, what are some of the reasons people ask psychother- people seek psychotherapy for anxiety? Well, I find that people often reach out to me when they become really consumed by worry most of the day. So as you know, we all worry, but usually someone's calling me when they feel that they have difficulty concentrating, the worries are getting in the way of their daily activities. Um, and also if they've experienced feelings of panic, so there's sort of those extreme bodily sensations like feeling as if you're choking or maybe having a heart attack. And really, most of the time when someone calls me, they're saying something just feels really wrong mm-hmm. and I'm not able to work it out on my own. Okay, so it seems like the people that are going to you have a very clear understanding that this is going to the extreme, that mm-hmm. this isn't just regular worries and fears, but it's come, it's come to the part where they're struggling physically. Out there when we're asking people questions about stress and anxiety, there still seem to be a lot of misunderstanding and confusion around what actually qualifies as regular anxiety, stress, and then what qualifies as anxiety disorders. Um, mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and break it down. Can you tell us a little bit more, at least physically, what is going on with our brain and our body when we're experiencing really intense anxiety? Yeah, so I think it's important to know first that anxiety is just a natural, normal, and even useful sensation Mm -hmm. that we all have. However, um, there are times when our brain, when you think about um, what anxiety feels like, it's a fear response, and it goes out of proportion to what 
the actual situation is. So the example that I like to use a lot of times is that there's a little part of your brain called the amygdala Mm -hmm. and it is there to protect you. It's meant so that, you know, when you stand on the edge of a tall building, you don't go over the edge. Uh Um, But oftentimes what can happen is, is that in the event of, for example, there was a tiger in the room, we would all need to just get up and run. We don't have time to think about it. Mm -hmm. And that's the purpose of anxiety. But if you can imagine, if you feel that way about giving a presentation at work, that's not necessarily the best time for you to not to be able to think. So um, our fear response is created to override the part of our brain that helps us to think and sort and sort of rationalize. Mm -hmm. So when someone is really experiencing extreme anxiety, this is the reason why when you tell someone calm down, yeah. it doesn't work. Right. Because they're not able to think through it. Okay. So our brain is doing what it's meant to do. It's just out of proportion in the moment. Okay. And then are there differences between someone who experiences kind of very like basic normal levels of anxiety versus people who experience really intense anxiety to the point where they can no longer function? Yeah, certainly. Because yeah. as I mentioned, it's helpful for us to feel anxious, right? Yeah. Like those times when you're like, oh shoot, I need to send an email or I forgot to do something today. That's anxiety sort of reminding you like, hey, there's something that's going on that we need to pay attention to and get moving on. Right. But what happens when it's more extreme is that you often go to the point of feeling paralyzed by it. Mm-hmm. So you may not answer your phone when you need to. Yeah. Um, you may not want to go to work or leave the house when in fact it's important for you to do so. Uh-huh. So it's gotten to the point that you're either avoiding or you're stuck sort of in this cycle of constant worry and rumination about something. Okay, so let's break down the different types of anxiety disorders then, right? So there's six different types. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the more, I think, well-known ones would be like general generalized anxiety disorder. Um, so when we're looking at how celebrities are talking about their anxiety in, in the media, um, one example is Kourtney Kardashian wrote on her blog, Quote, when my anxiety is extreme, it feels like my body is constantly burning calories all day long. On these kinds of days, I try to avoid caffeine, alcohol, and too much sugar. Basically anything that can make it worse, which is really smart on her part. Um, So a lot of people focus on the physical sensations attributed to anxiety. What else is going on for people when they're working through generalized anxiety disorder? So I would say a lot of it, um, in addition to the physical sensations, is also that internal sense of worry. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, the best way that they describe generalized anxiety is, even though I can say everything is okay right now, I am constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes it's just this preoccupation or this sense of, I don't know, something just seems like it's going to go wrong or something might be going wrong right now. And I don't know what that is so they're sort of searching and looking for what that thing is okay or on alert like maybe my finances are going to be in trouble um but it's a lot of just internal just preoccupation and worrying okay lots of worrying going on there now another one is panic disorder a number of celebrities have openly shared their experiences with panic attacks so a really powerful statement that i found was from um sarah silverman in glamour and she said quote People use panic attack very casually out here in Los Angeles, but I don't think most of them really know what it is. Every breath is labored. You are dying. You are going to die. It's terrifying. And then when the attack is over, the depression is still there. So how do you explain panic attacks to people and the role they play in someone actually having a panic disorder? Yeah, I kind of agree with her in the ter- in the sense that people do use panic attack really casually yeah. when I think they're just sharing, I'm really anxious. Um, 
Um, but really, panic is the highest state of anxiety at its max. Mm-hmm. It's when your body is sort of revved out. Um, and I let people know that it can only last no more than 10 minutes, which feels like a lifetime when it's happening. Okay. It's a really awful experience. But what can happen is when someone has that, they become very fearful of having it again. Mm-hmm. So that will lead them to do things like avoid certain places and situations that maybe remind them of the past panic attack or where they think they may have another one. Because as you can imagine, if you feel like you're dying, that's not really something that you take lightly Mm -hmm. and you sort of um, become really fixated on it. Yeah, I've, I've had patients in the past that were so concerned about their panic attacks happening that they would avoid driving because they wouldn't want a panic attack to happen while they're driving. Exactly. Or they would just stay local to a hospital because they were anxious about when is it going to happen again and they wanted to be nearby so they could get emergency care. Exactly. And that's what we're we're meaning when we say disorder. It's gotten to the level where it's really impacting your daily life Mm -hmm. and your ability to do things. So you can imagine it would be much difficult for you if you're like, I can't leave the house. I can't be away from a hospital because mm-hmm. the next time this happens, I may need it. Right. And then it impacts their like ability to go to school or work. Right. You exactly. Know? Okay. Now, then there's also phobias. Um, that's another type of anxiety disorder. Um, I don't know if, if you knew this, but apparently for decades, Whoopi Goldberg traveled via private bus from New York to yeah. Los Angeles because she was so scared of flying. So have you worked with people who've experienced intense fears um, about certain objects or situations? Yeah, I have. This is actually um, the beginning of my training. Uh-huh. When I started getting into anxiety work, I was doing a lot of phobia work. Um, and there are many, many people with phobias, especially about flying. Yeah. And um, I thought it was really cool. I worked at a place where we had a simulator where you could go into a pretend flying situation. So the way we treat individuals was to gradually get them used to certain situations, whether that was through talking or imagining it yeah. or even being exposed to it. So if you are afraid to do something like um, be around bugs, mm-hmm. first we would talk about it. We would look at pictures. Yeah. But the whole point is to eventually get you to the place where you could at least be in the room mm-hmm. for a few minutes with a bug. Um, of course, the goal is to touch it. But the reality is, is it's not that fun to touch a yeah. bug sometimes. <laughs> So have you had to bring bugs into your office? Or? I have. Yeah. Um, my one agreement with my clients, though, is that I will not do I will not ask you to do anything that I won't do. Right. So, um, you know, there were things, situations that we had to agree on, like, OK, that's fine. You know, I'm not going to put my hand in the toilet. Yeah. Um, if you don't want to. But ultimately, let's kind of go look at it and touch it. Yeah. So exposure is definitely the goal. Yes. Right. That is I think that's the key. Really, yeah. I find that it's very scary, but it gets you to the place where you need to be. Okay. All right. And then another one is social anxiety disorder. Uh, And this is different from the other anxiety disorders. Um, And we'll get to talk about that a little bit more. So BuzzFeed quoted Jennifer Lawrence's interview with a French magazine about her anxiety as a preteen. And the quote was, when my mother told me about my childhood, she always told me there was like a spark or like a light in me, a spark that inspired me constantly. When I started school, the light went out. It was never known what it was, a kind of social anxiety. It's a pretty vague description. Um, to me, losing a spark can mean a lot of things, yeah. even like potential trauma or something. I agree. Yeah. Um, so can you give us a better understanding of social anxiety? Yeah, I think this is a good one to talk about because oftentimes we think just being shy is social anxiety, and yeah. that's not quite it. Um, oftentimes people who are socially anxious are really 
swept up in their thoughts and worried about being judged by others. Mm-hmm. They're really afraid of being embarrassed. Um, they will ruminate, meaning they will think a lot about conversations that they had after mm-hmm. they're over. Um, and it really um, leads to a lot of avoidance of social situations. So. Um, oftentimes people are really afraid to just meet new people, even in one-on-one situations. Yeah. It's not just groups and crowds. And it can be really difficult um, because, as you, you know, we're socialized people. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say that I understand what she's getting at um, and it may be her experience, but oftentimes it's really about that fear of judgment and being embarrassed and watched and observed mm-hmm. that people really have a hard time with and they struggle. Yeah. And what's what was tricky for me about this quote was that it was around the preteen age. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much part of their normal developmental yes. process as preteens and teenagers to have that spotlight effect, thinking that everyone's watching yep. you. Yep. Um, so it would be important that if someone's experiencing that kind of change around that age to really talk to a professional to to kind of hash out, is this a normal part of their development or actual full-blown social anxiety disorder? Okay, and then we have um, obsessive compulsive disorder, also known as OCD. Now, Howard Stern described in his book, Miss America, how he could not, let's see, how he could not turn on the car radio without tapping the dial a certain number of times with his right hand. So he said, the rituals were my distraction. When I was in college and nervous about entering the world of broadcasting and earning a living, the pressure was enormous. As a a defense mechanism, my brain had set up an elaborate maze of rituals that kept me from confronting my fear. So what do you think about that description of OCD? Um, I think he's definitely speaking of some sort of anxious or nervous ritual. Mm -hmm. Um, The one thing that I would comment on is that oftentimes in OCD, someone has, as you take the word apart, an obsession, which is a thought or concern about something. And the compulsion is a behavior they do in response to that thought. Mm -hmm. So if anything, the compulsion is actually reducing anxiety and it's helping you deal with the fear. Okay. So um, oftentimes, of course, the, the typical OCD um, description is about cleaning. Mm-hmm. So in that case, someone would be obsessed with germs and have a concern about being contaminated. So they would compulsively clean to reduce that fear of, I am going to get contaminated by germs. Okay. But it can also um, show up in many ways, for example, like tapping. It can be totally unrelated. Someone might think, um, you know, my parents might die, mm-hmm. so I'm going to flick the light switch four times mm-hmm. just to deal with that. Um, so it can be really interesting to work with um, because sometimes the obsession and compulsion seem related and sometimes they're absolutely unrelated. Okay. Let's see. And that's something that, that you work with with your yes, clients that too? Is, that is definitely something that I um, treat and see a lot of. And it, it's actually similar to the phobias is exposure work. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would, I would imagine maybe like the opposite effect where you have a baseline of having to touch the light switch 30 times before you leave and gradually kind of decreasing it. Yep, we decrease and yeah. we, we also discuss if you don't touch it, what what do we see happen? Is that just a fluke or could mm-hmm. it be that maybe you don't need to? Yeah, so getting through the cognitions as well and the belief mm-hmm. system associated with that behavior. Okay, and then post-traumatic stress disorder um, is identified as uh, under the anxiety disorder uh, category. So while visiting a shelter for homeless LGBT youth a few years ago, Lady Gaga publicly shared, quote, I suffer from PTSD. I never told anyone that before, so here we are. But the kindness that's been shown to me by doctors as well as my family and friends, it's really saved my life. 
how do you explain to people about PTSD being a type of anxiety disorder? Yeah, um, I would say going back to what I was discussing before, that anxiety is based in a fear response. Mm-hmm. So um, usually if someone is experiencing PTSD, they have gone through or witnessed something that has made them fearful of their own life or someone else, someone else's life close mm-hmm. to them. So that being said, because of that fear, they are now re-experiencing that event or very avoidant and afraid to participate in any activity that's similar in any way to that event. Mm-hmm. So that is the reason why it's sort of falling under the anxiety disorder. It's not necessarily just nervousness per se. Yeah. I, again, that's another thing that's used lightly, right? PTSD. Right. But it's really um, very debilitating and serious. Okay. Um, and just a couple of other uh, questions I had. Um, when we look at anxiety and, and race or ethnicity, um, Boston Celtics player Marcus Morris grew up in a North Philadelphia neighborhood. It's described as rife with gang violence, a place that he says has contributed to his anxiety and depression. Moore said in a 2018 interview with ESPN, quote, at that time, I didn't trust any white people because I didn't know any white people. Um, Honestly, I didn't feel like I could trust anybody, not even the people in my neighborhood who I knew my whole life. Now, we do know that adolescent and young adults experiencing racial ethnic discrimination are at greater risk for of adverse mental health outcomes. And the buildup of stressors over life over the life course can um, have a total impact on a person's mental health. So how do you address this social reality in your work with your clients? Yeah, um, even in this quote that he's talking about, it kind of made me think about like, wow, he probably experienced trauma, yeah. which we know will put your brain on high alert for mm-hmm. any sensitive situation. So thinking about trust, I talk to my clients a lot about something called cultural paranoia, mm-hmm. which is um, quite normal and functional in that sometimes when we're in situations that are different, when we're dealing with people who are different from our own cultural background, we will have heightened, more heightened anxiety and observe um, the actions of others or even look for other people similar to us mm-hmm. um, that we can feel more comfortable. So I do let people know that this is... Um, reasonable in that it's sort of a survival technique, just like, as I shared, anxiety is something to help us survive. So I do um, like to sort of address this idea of understanding the impact of race and racial trauma Mm -hmm. against people and how that may have made them much more sensitive to certain situations or individuals. Do you see a lot of that in, in, uh, in your work? Um, I have actually lately. Yeah. I would say that with the things going on in society. Right. Um, and then also imploring people to just look at their own backgrounds and experiences and take a take a glance at how does that impact them now and yeah. what they think about what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So as far as anxiety disorder resources, if, if any of the things that we talked about today you noticed in yourself or in a family member or friend, um, here's some things that you could do. Um, Dr. Alisa, you have your own practice. I do. Help me Hodge. Um, You provide in-person, individual, and group therapy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also read that you also have a woman's anxiety management group. I do. Right? And you also uh, offer telepsychology services. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So um, as you mentioned, the women's anxiety group is for professional women who are experiencing perfectionism issues, worry, Mm -hmm. and it's it's nice to be in a group setting to sort of normalize and share those experiences with others. Um, And then I also, of course, as you said, I offer in-person one-on-one therapy for people who are looking for um, 
their own space. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people do both. Um, but then also telepsychology is sort of, people like to call it Skype therapy. I just mm-hmm. like to be clear, it's not Skype yeah. <laughs> because Skype is not encrypted. Yeah, but, we have a client. <laughs> yes, okay. but it is um, similar. Okay. So people talk to me over the computer, um, which is a great in this area because as you know, the traffic is uh, really unbelievable at times. So it allows people to- a lot of stress, yeah. Yeah, it calls people to have the opportunity to see me without having to travel. And that's like a video. Yep. Uh, session. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and then if for whatever reason um, you're not comfortable with telepsychology or you're not in the area, where is your practice? It is in National Harbor, Maryland. Okay. In Maryland. Mm-hmm. And if you're not in the area, also check out psychologytoday.com. You could get um, education, therapists, psychiatrists, treatment centers, and support groups in your area. Um, and then, of course, review your health coverage for um what you'll look for is either mental or behavioral health benefits to see what services are available to you. All right, so now that we have a solid understanding about anxiety, let's go. Let's get to people's more specific questions um, about stress and anxiety. To what degree do we allow discussion of stress and anxiety to exacerbate any problems therein associated with them? Okay, so this question seems like he was asking, is talking more about anxiety um, just raising more problems, basically. <laughs> That's a, I mean, it's a good question in yeah. that you do find that people anxiously discuss things without looking for problems. I'm yeah. sorry, solutions. Yeah. So I do think that discussing anxiety and stress without seeking to be problem solving can be problematic and right. it can just set you in a loop of worry that's like yeah this is really bad right this mm-hmm. is really bad yeah versus saying like yeah this is really bad and what do you think we can do about it right that's probably a better form of discussion uh-huh so it depends on you know how you manage the conversation as well correct and then when i was thinking about that too it, um to me it just kind of demonstrated like a misunderstanding of anxiety disorders mm-hmm. um because it's not necessarily just um changing your thinking but in many cases it could be you know brain functioning you know and a chemical imbalance Mm -hmm. um and that's something even more out of your control so just talking about it doesn't necessarily like make it make you have an anxiety disorder i think it's also important to know that it's okay to acknowledge your emotions yeah and to say like i'm pretty stressed out right now and not have people say like don't think about it right that that, that's never helped (laughs) okay okay let's take a listen to another question we had from somebody um what is the most common question that people ask about um stress anxiety and how they cope with those i thought that one was brilliant (laughs) so what do you what do you think what are some of Uh, the most common questions? I think the most common question is how do I stop worrying? Yeah. Because that is actually a style of avoidance to say like, this is uncomfortable. I don't (laughs) want to do it. And I let people know that worry is just our brain's way of trying to solve a problem. It's just very ineffective because you're going over said problem, as I said before, over and over again without looking for some sort of solutions. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to orient people to say, well, what's the evidence that that might happen? Mm -hmm. So if you're really, really worried, like my dog is definitely going to run away. Yeah. I say, well, is there any evidence that that's true? Like, has your dog run away before? Mm -hmm. And especially if the answer is no, I'm like, okay, well, let's think about all the times that he stayed home and how we've kept him safe. Yeah. Because that is just that your brain is telling you, like, I'm I'm concerned about something. I love my dog. Mm -hmm. That's really what your brain is focusing on, that you love your dog and you'd hate to lose it. Yeah. So it's okay to worry about your dog, but it doesn't necessarily mean that a thought is going to come true just because it pops into your head. Right. And if there is an experience with, like, 
for example, the dog running out? Yeah, and if the dog has run out before, again, the shift to be to problem solving, like how can we keep the dog safe then? Yeah. What are some things that we maybe want to do to keep him or her inside? So like, let's be productive yeah. and proactive. Yeah, put that energy into it. finding solutions versus thinking of how terrible it's going to be when it actually happens. Right. Okay, let's listen to another question we have. Uh, my question is, uh, what are some of the new techniques or new uh, studies that they're doing, performing to, um, to um, uh, study and deal with uh, the effects of stress. All right. Yes. Yeah, Dr. So Alicia. <laughs> I do my best to stay up to date. Um, and yeah. the interesting thing that I'm noticing is that some of these things are not new. They're just re-emphasized. So something like mindfulness right. um, is great in managing stress. But I also find that um, something recently that I've been suggesting to my clients is a YouTube track that was created by some sound or audiologists, uh-huh. um, audio therapists, and it's by um, it's called Weightless. Okay. And they found in studies that after people listen to this track for about ten minutes, their anxiety reduced about sixty eight percent. Oh my gosh! So on YouTube, it's um, there's a ten minute version, but there's also like a five hour version that oh, you wow. can literally just play in the background, and it actually worked. I fell asleep the first. Really? Time oh my gosh! It. I'm gonna listen to it. <laughs> so I think it works. Okay. I recommend it. We'll have that on our on our website too at witandreason.com yes. so you could don't you listen could to it, it while you're driving. Oh, good point. <laughs> good point. Is it so? Why do I always look to eat in order to cope with stress or anxiety? Yeah, well, I doubt that she's alone in that. Yeah, I was um, like, I can totally relate. <laughs> yes, um, I find that eating is is something comforting for us. Oftentimes, we go for foods that either will literally inspire like feel good chemicals, so to speak, uh-huh. in our bodies to say, like, I'm stressed out. I just want to eat this piece of cake. Um, mm. Or oftentimes it's just a way for us to cope. So I think she sort of gave the answer in the question, like, you're you're looking to cope. Yeah. And if you find that it's in excess, then, of course, you want to look for other things like maybe physical exercise or just deep breathing. But it's pretty natural and normal, I think, for us to sort of eat something comforting right. um, just f- for a quick fix. Yeah. And so maybe the answer is then to watch what you're eating. So I had a medical doctor who was telling me how he deals with stress and he said that he would either chew gum throughout the day Mm. or um, chew hard vegetables like carrots or celery sticks because it's letting out that kind of like aggression or that tension that you might have like in your jaw and body. Um, and you're eating, so you're being kind of, you're comforted, but it's not something terribly unhealthy for you. Yeah, you I know? should try that. Yeah. So. I don't usually pick carrots. Yeah, carrots and uh, celery sticks got me through grad school. Okay, here's another question. How do you best cope with anxiety and stress before it starts affecting your body and in aches and pains and other forms? All right. Now, this question actually leads us to our next portion. We want to really highlight prevention. So mm-hmm. let's talk about prevention with practical tips and amazing resources. I have a few um, in mind. Do you have any that you want to... Based on that question, I definitely um, am thinking about physical exercise because in some ways, um, that physical tension, that body aches, et cetera, that's where it's coming from. You kind of tensing up all day Mm -hmm. progressively and getting to a place where your body is holding all the anxiety versus you maybe recognizing it. Yes. Um, When I'm really stressed out, I have to get a run in even though I hate running. Mm. Um, So for the exercise piece, you want to get about 20 to 30 minutes of exercise every day. I actually like using the Mind Body app because it shows you um, different opportunities for exercising. So it could be either yoga or I just did a boxing class this past weekend. And I found that through the Mind Body app because it shows you different things that are available in your area. 
Um, also, I would recommend uh, recreational leagues. So in D.C., we have D.C. Fray or Volo, um, and those are adult fun social sports leagues. So you get in the social stuff, yep. which is really good for us, yep. and then you get in the exercise as well. Um, and it's really fun too. Uh, now, as far as like an educational and thought awareness uh, practice, there's the MindShift app, um, and it has all kinds of stuff about anxiety, what it is, and then it, it's also really practical in that you it walks you through steps and guides you through the process of, uh, like you were mentioning, Dr. Alicia, what are the worried thoughts that you're having, and then how likely are they to happen, um, and then really going through a more um, problem solving. Uh, path. Um, and then, of course, I you do workshops, too, sometimes, I do. Right? I do. So uh, this spring, I intend to have a workshop that emphasizes self-care and stress management. Uh-huh. I don't have a specific date yet, but it is in the works. And okay. hopefully attending that will help you from being less tense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where do you usually have your workshops? Um, so actually, it will be held in my office area in National Harbor. Yeah, so we have a space okay. for that. Okay, fun. Um, and then you also have a free self-care ebook, right? I do. So you could check out slayyouranxiety.com. And when you sign up, you get a free self-care ebook um, because anxiety isn't just about waiting until a panic attack happens. It's about prevention. And the more you take care of yourself on a day-to-day basis, the better it, and easier it is for you to, to tackle a lot exactly. of those things. Prevention is huge. Yes. Okay. You can put all of these tips and activities into action today. Visit witandreason.com. That's W-I-T-A-N-D-R-E-A-S-O-N.com to get links to the resources we shared on today's show and connect with me, Dr. Alexis Moreno, and licensed psychologist, workshop presenter, speaker, Dr. Alicia Hodge. Did you hear something on the show today that you relate to on a personal level? Share your story. Send us your recording on witandreason.com, and we may be able to post it on our Anxiety and Coping show page to help others struggling with anxiety. A special thank you to DC Radio, and of course, to all of you for listening. Stay posted on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Wit and Reason and DC Radio for our next show. I'm Dr. Alexis Moreno. Let's keep the conversation going. You've been listening to Wit and Reason with psychologist Dr. Alexis Moreno. For more information, visit witandreason.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. <laughs> 